All right, here you go, ladies and gentlemen. This one right here, throwing together. We were supposed to talk to David Alter last night. Good thing we didn't. A lot of news breaking today. Uh, as you may have heard, unless you live under a rock, the World Junior Hockey Championships are no longer uh, being canceled today. Then, of course, there's more news coming through with the Logan Mayu situation, where he's now going to be allowed to play uh, in the OHL come January 1st. That news slipped in there as well. We'll touch on that. And, of course, our guest right here, the man du jour, he'll be talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs with us as well as these other topics. Gentlemen, how are the holidays? How is everyone? Everybody safe, happy, and ready to roll or what? All good over here. Oh, thanks for having me on, guys. No worries. And yeah, Mr. Um, Egan, how about you? All good here. A little disappointed because a big part of my holidays are the World Juniors. So uh, bummed about that. But, you know, Christmas and Boxing Day were fun because I got to watch hockey all day. And, you know, you get presents on Christmas. So, <laughs> but, you know, let's let's uh, let's move forward here, I guess. And Well, let's be the, uh, the gift that keeps on giving. Let's talk about this cancellation here. There's one situation that uh, has been brought to light with the Marriott Hotel. I believe it's Team USA and Team Sweden staying in. They had a wedding booked for that venue obviously they say they use uh conference rooms and different things like that to host those events um they allow those things to go through because it was a previous booking um but we all know a hotel you share the same hallways you share the same elevators the same access points uh same amenities same staff everybody is interacting with one another it doesn't matter how tight you try to be you still have to come and go from that venue uh, as much as other people do so you don't know who those other people are where they've been and what they've done they're not being tested as stringently as the hockey players are um, so that's a huge situation Josh you linked me to an article uh, I believe it was team Finland saying you know how poorly the, the tournament was handled um, I want to get your thoughts on that David you know just the whole thing you know this is a double IHF event you think with the stringent way things need to be done they would have locked down these hotels for these players and allowed this to be almost like a bubble. So these players would not be able to be affected by the general populace and have the community come in and be, you know, a part of that hotel. It blows my mind that that happened. And you can hear, you know, and see lots of different coaching staff and, and players, you know, sounding off about that now. I'm wondering for you, what do you think about that? It's, it's tough. It's a bit of a revisionist history. Uh, like I sympathize with everybody involved and I'm certainly not taking sides as to, what led to the conclusion that happened today. I mean, we go back this time six, seven months ago and everyone's looking at Edmonton and Red Deer as finally being the proper world, world juniors that we didn't get last year. One where there's fans, um, you know, the virus numbers are down. We have full arenas, much like we've had around the NHL up until a couple of weeks ago or so. So um, yeah, it was one of those things where um, it was just a, a situation where it wasn't going to be a tight bubble. And then as Omicron hit, we knew that there was going to be more of a concern. And I guess perhaps it was difficult to reconcile and find better accommodations in such a short period of time. I don't know. Um, but these things are only coming out after, right? Like the best yeah. thing about it is like, it's, it's strictly a, um, it's strictly a situation where, no, everyone's kind of taking a gamble with it because Omicron, we just don't know. And I think there was this pressure and feel to make this normal world juniors. And it looked like this time a month ago, that was what was it was going to be. And it's unfortunate we got to this situation. Um, and the double IHF up until the cancellation was being very odd about how like one positive case would lead to um, a forfeiture, which you know, forfeitures, double IHF, like they, they, they kind of have a carte blanche for how they treat if you can't put the right amount of people in. But, you know, it was, it was kind of bizarre. Like it, it's one of these things where as Omicron kind of came, maybe they should kind of think about where things were going to go. And um, I, I watched Bob McKenzie break it down uh, when this tournament was closed. And he said it was one of those situations where I don't think they thought one case was going to close it down but once they started talking to medical experts and they realized that forfeitures were going to happen every day it was just a matter of this going to be start becoming a farce and so instead of having these forfeitures which are i would argue more embarrassing than the term and cancellation altogether um do this call it a cancellation now there's so much money at stake, even with the TV networks. I would be shocked that this, this doesn't somehow gets restarted again in the summer, similar to the women's worlds. 
Um, so yeah, that's what it is right now, but look, everyone's health and safety is most important. And I think the right call was eventually made. It was just, it's too bad. They couldn't adjust on the fly to make everything work while people transported and got up and went and, you know, it's devastating for everybody. So that, that's the unfortunate reality of, of everything that's transpired. No, it definitely right. is. It, this, sorry, Jay, I'm just jumping here because it, it, it's, it's a good timing to talk about this. Um, this kind of takes me back to, I forget when it was, I think it was in March, the NWHL bubble. Now, now they're the PHF. Um, they had that big outbreak within the bubble. They didn't have the proper protocols in place. This, this kind of seems like the IIHF may have learned from that a little bit. I don't know if they would even take notice of that, but um, they, they, they may have used that as reflection. But Gord Miller brought up a good point. I was watching the live thing. Um, they have in this tournament players under the age of 18. So I believe he called it the right to care. Now, in in my schooling, if you have a right to care, you have to have a plan A, you have to have a plan B, and you have to have a plan C. In this case, I'm looking at the IIHF and how they've handled this. I don't even think they had half of a plan A because as soon as one case came up, they were like, oh, that's it, game's postponed, we can't do this. Okay, yeah, I understand that, but why is it, why is it a forfeit? Did you not allow for, I just, I have a lot of questions for them and I don't know where to get the answers. Right. And I, I don't want to come across as saying, as being that guy who's like, oh, you know, it's just a common cold or whatever. It's not like, this is a very, you know, scary disease. We don't know a lot about it, but you are a top tier professional sports organization. What was your plan? Because right now it doesn't seem like you had one. And that takes me back to the Finnish coach saying this wasn't a COVID problem. It was a double IHF problem, which I can kind of see the point there where they're saying, what was the plan here if we did have an outbreak because it didn't really seem like you had one and now you're canceling probably the top uh, the the top tournament around this time right like uh, we didn't get the olympics so this would have been the top tournament of the hockey season right obviously excluding the playoffs so i just have a lot of questions about that and it's very frustrating as a hockey fan to not be able to have those answers right away I so i got it does Sorry, seem like on. they had a little bit of a, a plan you know, where they had Team USA test positive and they did say, well, you know, if these players continue to test positive, which they did, but the rest of the team tested negative, they would have been allowed to play Sweden. So there was a kind of plan to be able to move teams forward beyond their initial positive, whoever was, you know, tested. And you had the players available to do so, you know, the extra 13, 14 forwards, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It would have been different lineup changes. You probably would have seen a lot of maybe 15 and five or things like that throughout the nature, through the tier, the tournament. But they had plans in place to be able to move teams, I guess, who had minuscule amount of, of contact or whatever. Um, you heard Bob McKenzie say it yesterday, that if more players from Team USA tested positive, then they may have been removed from the tournament. And maybe that's what they're trying to avoid here, having teams being completely removed from the entire tournament, which maybe they got bad news from Team USA, and that's where they thought things were going to start trending. And they said, you know what, we pull the plug now, and then we can have every team available to us in the summer opposed to moving us today. And then two days from now saying, well, we have to cancel the tournament. Then us throws their hands up like, Hey, we were removed. Are we getting put back in? What's the situation? You know, what's the seating? So they may have just put them their foot forward and said, Hey, this is what we're going to do to save, I guess, save what we can for the summer. The one thing I'll say, Josh, to a lot of your questions, I got asked on radio uh, earlier today, uh, about this situation and how it's kind of sorry heard you heard you on there buddy i'm like i'm talking to that guy later <laughs> <laughs> well i was on two different shows on two different stations so yeah. i don't remember which one it was but um uh the number one thing was the big difference here really is the fact that not only did the goalposts change with omicron yeah. but it's not like the nhl right now where they have the luxury of time the nhl is the top flight they have a lot of big business. It's professional athletes. Technically, yeah. the juniors are not professional athletes, even though the governing body is. The, the, the organizers are putting on, they are professionals. I should put it that way. Um, but the thing with the World Juniors is if they needed another week to finish it, there was no, no, no runway or, yeah. or guarantees that the, that, um, the junior clubs or, or the professional leagues in Europe would have just been okay with that. And that was... That was really the big problem of trying to postpone and say, okay, well, we'll just have this tournament end a few days later or whatever to try and kind of get this all in. So where the NHL, 
they kind of lucked out with the fact that there is no Olympics to go to because you've got three weeks to make up time, which hopefully if everything we know about Omicron right now pans out that this kind of ends or is on the decline at the end of January and they can just make up games. They can add weeks to their schedule if they want to. They really are the arbiters of their own 82 game season. Like, and they just, it's just those two to work out. But when you have to deal with several different countries in several different leagues and you're causing a disruption to their operations, it's, it's a massive undertaking. And, and for that, I, I don't think I'm not sympathetic to the double IHF for a lot of the other things, but in that situation, it's really hard or the organizers to just kind of be like, Hey, well, you know, you're not necessarily going to get these guys. Cause what if their major playoffs are starting around the time you want to kind of reschedule in that regard, or you want to add some days and they need them for critical dates on their schedule. Sure. Omicron is hitting everywhere, but the waves are coming differently, whether it's Europe, North America, whatever. There's going to be competitive uh, disparity all around. So I think that's that's where they they need a little bit of slack here. It's just it, it's just tough. It really is. There was no ideal solution. Perhaps they could have called things off, or they could have revised things to make sure that they had a hard bubble solution. But you could tell they were just trying to recoup money. They went from a full like having to refund everybody's tickets to to making them go on sale again for 50 percent but charging people more like it was it was difficult it was yeah they were just trying to hope that they can recoup it and it just seemed like they were just digging a, a bottomless pit grasping at straws almost really yeah um okay for the other side of things so we're talking about possibly rescheduling this maybe a summertime event you talked about other leagues having playoffs etc cetera, etc cetera, things like that um do you think this gets restarted for one and for two um do you think that players given what happened here will be hesitant to join their country and come back over and play whether it's here in red deer or wherever they're going to have it uh it's not for sure that it'll be there but do you think that players might be hesitant and does it get done I think, I mean, it's hard. To, I, I'm not involved in the, in the talks or anything like yeah. that, but I just know how much the World Juniors means to a network like TSN. Yeah. Like, I, I have to think that this is going to hurt a little bit. Um, and I think there's going to be some sort of effort to kind of make good on that. Uh, so it depends. Maybe it's, you know, they have the Worlds in at the end of the year. That's one tournament they have while the playoffs are going on. But in June, is there going to be the appetite for hockey after the playoffs? Or is there going to be, or do you have to wait till deep in the summer? The women's worlds look like a fun tournament and it was in the summer I watched. So I I, I think, I think there's, I think there's room to kind of maybe do both not concurrently, but one after another in August. Yep. August is usually pretty dead when it comes to summer sports in Canada, with the exception of, of like soccer and um, you know, there's baseball and all that kind of stuff. But there, there are pockets. So it depends. I mean, if these guys are draft eligible at that point, are and they might be making NHL clubs, could you get some pushback from some of those clubs that don't want? their players involved in the tournament in the off season. I don't know. I, I don't think it would be that vociferous. So I, I think that there's going to be some sort of push to kind of recoup the cost that a tournament like this, not being able to finish it. Um, there's a lot of sponsors there that are going to want some sort of recouping there and, and money talks. It really yeah. does. Oh, yeah. So I think, I think at some point, given how much of a juggernaut this tournament is, uh, I think there's going to be some sort of push to squeeze something and, and make it happen. Well, we'll look my concern that, was like, if, if you do it in the summer, I don't know if it hits the same as it does at the winter time, right? Because for me, it's like the, the, the holiday season's approaching and it's like, oh, it's world junior time. If I'm, you know, let's say end of July, mid-August, it's like, well, that's Blue Jays time. Am I going to have as much interest in this or I, I wonder if, if if they look at that as well because dsn I, doesn't have baseball they don't have that's, I mean, yeah they have they have non-blue jays baseball games but if they're going to go head to head 
Um, depending on where the Jays are playoff wise, I don't know, but I mean, it's something they can put on. They've got to fill programming yeah. and they've got to recoup losses. Like that's really what it's going to come down. Or not losses, but loss of revenue. You like, yeah. like in that regard. So look, the summer historically now, like I think every sport is now having to rethink things. When you look at the big four majors in terms of where viruses can spread, hockey is the most vulnerable because it's in the winter time. It's indoors. It's, it's like the least uh, COVID friendly sport right now of all the big majors, Uh, all the other things you can, that's why there was this big push that the outdoor game, they just wanted it to happen because if anything, the outdoor game was probably the least riskiest to put on. Yeah. From the fact that it's outside and they may have to start rethinking some of these things. I remember this is so a little bit off topic, but I remember when, when they were looking in 2020 and the world was what it was and, and there were no sports going on. I was like, they might just, you know, there's all these empty sports arenas in the, in the winter that hockey might just need to start being creative and look to do some games out there because a, to just finish the season, if that's how they wanted to do it, B, it's kind of safer. Like if this thing was going to get really bad. So I think they talked uh, about it, to be honest with you. I think you, you heard it with uh, 32 thoughts. I think they batted the idea around about. Yeah, I think indoors, it became a logistical games. nightmare, but it, it, the only yeah. time it's not a logistical nightmare is if the virus is that bad that they have to really rethink yeah. the way it is done. So anyway, so uh, to make a long story short, money talks in a lot of these things. Uh, COVID obviously speaks pretty loud as well. Um, but again, this is a new strain and we don't know. And the great news about everything we're reading right now is that hospitalization rates and severe illnesses are still down. And as long as we can got to get there and more peer reviews and more journals are being read, um, perhaps we get closer to the days of, of like yesteryear where a thing like this isn't something that you can spread that puts someone in hospital and it becomes like the cold down the road. We don't know that, but the fact that people are not getting into hospital or getting severely ill right now is what allows me to stay positive about everything. No, that is the definite point of that. And we'll keep hoping those things trend that way. Um, You talk about a loud voice and we'll, we'll switch gears here from the world juniors towards Olympic talk for just a moment. Uh, Brad Marchand came out with a very loud voice, not only over a, a press conference, but also his his subsequent tweet that he put out, um, just sounding off about you know how the NHL could hobble together taxi squads and do all these different things, but they couldn't put the same momentum towards the Olympics. Obviously frustrated. Obviously players are frustrated. And once he did that, it became a sounding board for a lot of other guys to say, "Hey, yeah, I feel the same way," you know. And we knew it wasn't going to be. And across the board, happy-go-lucky, hey, you know what? Yeah, we agree we shouldn't go because there's a lot of guys who wanted to go. Steven Stamkos, for one instance, really wanted to go because this may be his last chance. You know, guys like Patrice Bergeron, maybe his last chance if he did make the team. But um, I'm wondering for your both of your perspectives here, um, I've long said it way back when, Josh, you know, I said they weren't going. Um, I just didn't think it was safe, smart, or the right thing to do. Um, I still don't know why the Winter Olympics are going to happen. I think they should postpone them for a year and let the world recover a little bit. I think that's what the players are still kind of hoping for. But I'm not as optimistic about it, but uh, not to interrupt, but yeah, I like it's, I don't, uh, it's just not going to happen. One sport isn't going to control it like that, but continue. No, no, definitely. But I I look at the whole situation and I say, you know, what Brad Marchand said, you know, just what everybody else is saying about being safe. You sympathize with the athletes, but guys, I want to ask you from your heart of hearts, Obviously, we want to see best on best. I've long since said that too, but I just didn't think it was a smart play. Do you think that the NHL, the NHLPA, which obviously they work together on this, um, made the right call to withhold them? And here's my caveat to it. Do you think the doors should have been left open for individual athletes to compete for their respective countries if they wanted to and if the teams allowed them to? Because Ted Leonsis in Washington said he had no problem with Ovechkin or Backstrom going and playing for their respective teams, if that's the way it was going to be. If that's the door that was open, he had no problem with that. So I'm wondering, do you think the NHL and the NHLPA made the right call? And do you think that door should have been left open for players to make their own choices? 
Well, that's a tough one. Yeah, um, I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I'll, I'll tell you from that one owner, owners are very different. Uh, Ted Leonsis is probably one of the more progressive owners across the NHL in terms of looking at new forms of media, in terms of marketing. Uh, I have a lot of respect for kind of how he, he looks at the game and the sport. And, and I think him publicly saying that, that's him also knowing that he has nothing to lose by saying that he would support Alex Ovechkin going, even though that was never going to be a thing that was on the table. Yeah. But it really wasn't. It wasn't four years ago either. So like, so it was one of those things where even though the threat was always there, just, just yeah. legally from what's in the NHL CBA and what was in the memorandum of understanding, it was just never something that was possible. And so I think for a long time, we were debating this. I remember being on the road at Edmonton. I remember being on the road in November and seeing um, the, the quarantine rules for China, even before Omicron was coming and uh, asking players. And, you know, they were a little concerned about it. And the league at that point was just like, the players are going to decide this because they, the league knows they, they kind of look bad if they're going to stand in the way of the players going. Once they had all these postponements in all these cases, it was just way out of the players' hands at this point. Yeah. It really was. Like, there was just – there was no – if the players went, I think there would have – there would and, and there would have been some illness and, and guys getting stuck. They would have looked really bad in this situation. I, I think it would have been optically really bad. And as you're seeing with, with guys like Brad Marchand, there's – um. Uh, there, there's a lot of divide within the NHLPA. There, there's a lot of people who feel like him, yep. and there's always been people who feel like them in the NHLPA membership. Yep. But it's 700 plus, uh, 700 plus players versus 30 owners, so it's easier to get consensus with the owners than it's been with the players. That's why there's a salary cap. That's why there was a there was that one year thing to get to the salary cap for the lockout and stuff. And that's why. You know, player share used to be 54% up to 57% in that first CBA with the salary cap before it went down to 50-50 in 2013. Like, it's just one of those things where it's a lot easier to get owners on consensus than players who have this dichotomy of feelings and yep. changes at the top. And uh, I think Brad Marchand coming out right there only just spoke to the the divide, the loud divide that there probably is behind the ownership of the PA. It's been kind of growing louder and um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what folds from that. But I just, I don't see a situation where, where you could have allowed individual participation. I think that, that I think Ted Leonce is coming out and saying that is also knowing that, that that wasn't possible either. There was nothing for him to lose by saying it. Let's put it that way. So I got a question for both of you, Josh, before you answer. I just want to say this yeah. one. So hypothetically, Alex Oveshkin books a ticket, says, you know what? Screw it. I'm going. I'm going to play. I don't care what anybody says. You can call the sanctions against me. You can suspend me. You can find me. I'm grabbing my hockey bag, and I'm going to play for Team Russia. You can say whatever you want. Do you think the NHL is not going to welcome him back after some hoopla of a suspension or whatever to bring him back in? There, if he went and did it, you know, what, literally what is stopping a human being from going to do something they want to do? Nothing. If he wants to go play for his team, no one's going to stop him at the airport and be like, whoa, whoa, you can't jump on a plane. I'm putting you in cuffs. He's not doing anything legally wrong. So he can jump on a plane, go to Russia or go to China and play. But I'm just saying, hypothetically, what do you think the NHL will do in that situation? I'll ask you both. If a guy wanted to do that. His contract would be terminated like almost immediately. The team would be the one who terminates it, though, not the league. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so maybe he could get away with it. But, like, is, who else could? Crosby? Uh, could, I, no, I think, I think like, yeah, it depends on the name of the player. Yeah. If you're talking Austin Matthews or whoever's got namesake in the NHL. But I'm saying, obviously, the team won't terminate the contract, but the NHL will probably come down with heavy sanctions. But, again, where's the precedence? A guy could just say, I'm going to play. I don't care. See right. you there, and there, if you don't want to let me back, there goes your marketing dollars for me. See you I later. Can't go, I can't go back and find precedent. You're right. There's always those kind of things, just kind of like how in the CBA, there really isn't the penalty for exceeding the salary cap. It yep. just says you can't. 
<laughs> there's nothing there that there's nothing written in stone yet. Like no, there hasn't been, and I've asked because I remember there was like a team, like I was looking and I asked uh, someone I know on another team. I'll be like, okay, well, say October second rolls around and a team can't get under the cap, they're like, we're stuck. This is like opening night. We can't do anything. What happens? Then it'd be like, well, they have to be under cap. Uh, they have to be under the cap. I'm like, okay, but well, they're what's not. The sanction? So now what? Yeah. So so, so now what? He's like, well, I, and then it was just guesses at this point. Like one guess it's, was. It's a completely arbitrary punishment then. Well, Depends, there is no, the there's, is no outlined, there's no outlined punishment. It just says it's forbidden. So, so the same as that there is oh, there, there's, there's that for what you're talking about. The only difference being is sure, they'd suspend them without pay. There'd be that. Um, I don't think, I think Ovechkin's now probably less vocal about that than maybe he was four years ago because he's got Wayne Gretzky's record to chase. And I don't think he wants to miss games where he's healthy enough to play. So there's that. Um, But also, uh, yeah, you can go. The other thing too, and it all depends on the trade deadline. If he gets his contract suspended or whatever the case, and he isn't on an active roster Mm -hmm. by a certain day, then he may not be, he may be ineligible for the remainder of the regular season because he's not under an NHL contract by a certain date. You saw that four years ago with, uh, with like Gianta and a couple of other guys who yep. signed and they had to sign the day after the Olympics were done because they wouldn't have been eligible to play for that season right after. So there's that part of the CBA as well. Uh, but also the number one thing is you lose money um, and you're not insured. And if something happens to him and he wanted to come back and he's got nothing, well then goodbye five-year contract. You've got no pen. You've got nothing from that. If something happens and, uh, and he can't play anymore, he's got no downside protection guarantee. Not to say he hasn't made a lot of money in his career that it would, that it would um, put him on the street or anything like that. But it's a factor. People live lifestyles are used to assurances and money that are coming in and that would hurt. So, so, so there's, there's a lot of prohibitions for a player of any stature trying to walk away from the league. He could ask to have his contract mutually terminated and, and then maybe that the league grant, the team grants it like we've seen in other situations just so that they can play. But I, I just don't, there's, there is no precedent for real, but there are things that players can kind of dance around and do it if they so choose. Yeah. It's just probably not a, uh, a tightrope worth walking. I'm just, I'm just laughing because we, we went from the world juniors being canceled to Ovechkin walking out on the Capitals <laughs> and going to play from Russia, which that's not happening. Probably, yeah, which yeah. That, that was my next question, but I, I think I answered it for myself. I'm like, did I miss something? Is, is this actually happening? Or I, oh, I no, it's it just, is, it just for me, <laughs> where Dave is talking about this divide through the NHLPA, you know, then mm-hmm. you start to think about it. You, you put your own thoughts to it. Like, what if that divide just to said, screw it, we're grabbing our hockey bags and we're going. We don't agree with what they said. We didn't vote for it. We we're going, you know, and then obviously, like you said, David, there's a lot of things that they would think about. Their agents would be pulling their hair out because there's no protection. There's no insurance. Yeah. There's no, no security for anything that happens beyond what goes on over there. They have a career ending injury. It's gone. If you're an agent and you're making 3% on a, on a big contract like that, are you advising your, your client to walk away from that to go play to the Olympics uh, probably no references that you'll get a new deal or, or it will be honored. Yeah. I, I mean, the agent will always do what's right by the player um, from a legal standpoint and from a, uh, just a negotiation standpoint. Um, and it, I, I don't see, I don't see a situation where it happens, but you're going back to your other point about how it's probably last chance. I remember we talked to John Tavares about it when, when everything re- restarted because he was a bubble player to make it yep. uh, and be very vocal about wanting to be back. And, you know, he said, um, you know, it gets tougher as you get older. So this is a really tough pill to swallow. So a lot of the older players are definitely, you know, more upset about it because they know this is probably their last chance to ever be on it. You look at the young talent now that comes out in four years. Yeah. Connor, it's getting Bedard better, better every time. Connor Bedard might be on that team in four years for all we know. Oh, yes. I'd say so for sure. Yeah. Putting on a show, right? Uh, well, let's ask you about that, obviously. Um, let's ask you about the Toronto Maple Leafs, the situation that unfolded. Obviously, players going into quarantine. 
Um, how was it for you? Walk us through that, the announcements, walk us through everything that you uh, were a part of. I remember reading your tweet just a couple of days ago, how surreal that Leafs practice was, you know, watching how many guys weren't there and different guys being just basically ushered in to be allowed to be there because they had to get special exemptions just to be on the ice with the Maple Leafs. Um, so yeah, walk us first... through that beginning part and then walk us through that as well. It's, it's interesting to, to hear from your side of things, watching this all unfold. Yeah. That first one was kind of surreal only because um, it was a Sunday of boxing day, which was supposed to be shuttered, but because of what was negotiated, they did, they did come in to do tests and practice. Um, but not only from the skeletal staff, <clears throat> but also that there was that the doors were locked at MasterCard. Usually there's different people. There were people on different pads uh, and everything. And there was, it was an empty parking lot for the public parking lot area. Just everything from that point made it feel like I was on some sort of closed set as opposed to just some regular like practice that normally happens. Even in COVID times, there were still like other pads and, and, you know, there were staff there, but, Literally, it's it's Leafs PR staff that had to unlock the doors to let us in because it wow. was just it, it was surreal that way. I mean, subsequent days it wasn't as tight. It, it started to feel a bit more normal, but that first day where there's so many guys missing, and um, the fact that they they only had five defensemen for practice, they actually had to get special permission from the league for an AHL defenseman. HL only contract defensemen to actually take part for one day so that they could have enough pairs to actually go through a practice. It was bizarre. It was really weird. Uh, for other reporters around the league, they've, they've kind of dealt with, sorry, there's an ambulance going by. There always seems to be a disruption when I'm on with you guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, last but, uh, is what it is. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. So uh, it was one of those things where, it was weird to see, you know, no Campbell, no Mrazic, a lot of regulars missing, but the, the top line was there and fine, which was also strange. Like Bunting, Matthews, and Marner back uh, yes. was was there. So, so it just from from not working for about a week, from the closure to not knowing what to expect when I came in, to coming into like a very dark building where the lights were literally just kind of turned on, and and then we were allowed in that kind of made it feel very not March, 2020 because I wasn't around for a lot of that, but it was, it was, it gave me those kind of vibes again, which was a little chilling as, as more guys started coming back and, you know, there were other people coming in and using the ice pads and stuff. And there was proper staff there and it was noon and not three o'clock, which they never practiced at, which was also strange. It's also strange for me to leave MasterCard with it being dark. Usually I'm out, it's still daylight. So so a lot of those reasons were why it just kind of felt very surreal and like it was like a closed movie set. It was bizarre. So now with the Maple Leafs, I want to ask this question. For you, what have you heard so far in terms of games and things for that and practices and stuff? Are they playing this Saturday? From what I gather, I hear they are. Yeah, um, I, take, I got tickets to that one. Give me good news. Yeah, go. I mean, so far it's all systems go. The Leafs did add someone to the protocol list today, Timothy Lilligren. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a bit unsettling in, in that regard. But the the plan right now, despite that news, is they are going to practice tomorrow. So um, they're still continuing. Yeah, as I'm sure you guys saw that the NHL the new protocol. Their, yeah. Their testing guidelines to be more in line with the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in the United States. Um, now, the difference there is, while that's easy to do for the United States, um, the provinces are still restricted to what they can do, regardless of what the NHL allows. And there still needs to be some clarity from the Ontario government about that. They were supposed to announce something yesterday in terms of if they were going to adjust, and they postponed. So, so um, there's no clarity yet as to what's going to happen in that regard in terms of if there are going to be five days, because as I pull up my trusty notepad, which I have to do now to make sure I remember who's on the list and who isn't. <laughs> Seriously, um, Muzzin, I know is there. We've got four guys who are scheduled to come off protocol on December 29th, 30th, uh, like 31st, uh, Camp, Mikheyev, Morazic, 
and Sandine were on December 21st. Now, if it was 10 days, then they'd get one practice in before a game, which is that the ideal scenario to go into a game? I'm not sure. That's not my call. That's the coach's call, right? Um, uh, but if it's five days and they get some sort of assurances before practice tomorrow, then conceivably him and conceivably Morgan Riley provided they're asymptomatic and test negative because Riley was there on the 23rd. And I guess William Nylander on the 24th and today's the 29th. Yep. Conceivably, if they get the CDC assurances and they're all asymptomatic, that you could have all six of those guys in practice tomorrow. You could. And you Ontario Ontario is making that announcement tomorrow. Okay, they, uh, so it depends, right? If, yeah. if, they, if they allow for what the NHL allows, then you've got as many as six guys coming off that list. Perfect. Yeah. And Although, then you can get if you're if you're in Ontario, you know that announcement will be delayed by a couple hours. So they'll yeah, but I'm practice. pretty sure the Maple Leafs would have the line in to to make sure. Maybe somewhere. maybe they we'll, might. We'll, we'll see that. That's why I go to practice because we'll, we'll find we'll, out when we find yeah. out. We'll so find out about go. the latest restrictions through Leafs practice. That's it right <laughs> there. If you see I, those I, guys hit the ice, you know there's something being modified. So right, <laughs> but again, Timothy Lilligren just went on today, yeah. and he's been practicing with the group for the last two days. And Sheldon Keith mentioned that there is a little bit of anxiety from guys who, who haven't had it yet that may, like every time they get a test are kind of wondering, is this the time? Like, oh no, am I going to be next, right? Yeah. So I can imagine so, that wearing on a psyche of a guy too, just sitting yeah. there every day where, where you see guys from your team that you've been practicing with go off with COVID and then you're sitting there waiting to say, okay, well, I'm negative today. Am I positive tomorrow? You know? Uh, I, I like that they're trending this way with the five days and, uh, you know, negative tests and stuff like that. As long as everybody stays safe, that should be the way I think it should go. But uh, I, right. I just hope all the Maple Leaf players make it back. Um, I hope that you stay safe and hope everything goes well so we can watch Leaf games and NHL games. Cause I mean, we started this off on doom and gloom, but let's not lose the fact that the Maple Leafs are doing pretty darn well this season. Uh, have a pretty cohesive group. Uh, we've all talked to that throughout the year so far, guys coming together, you know, bonding, different things like that. So, I like the group. I want to see everybody back and healthy and ready to play, but uh, it's only what we're going to see in front of us. And we can only uh, make do with each single day. And I guess right now, each single hour with, uh, with Omicron and COVID. Yeah. And look, I mean, yeah, the Leafs are, they were riding high, but it's going to be tough to see teams around the league are kind of going to get their gears back. Right. Like they got Ottawa and Ottawa had an outbreak and Ottawa had guys coming off the list, coming on the list. Everyone's going to be kind of in the same boat here where, where there was real disadvantages were the teams that kind of had the outbreak early uh, where like the Islanders had like the Leafs played the Islanders and the Islanders had six guys on the list at the time that they couldn't play. And that was a huge disadvantage. And the Leafs were very fortunate in some of these games where they, they were going up against COVID cases that they weren't getting infected. So um, eventually it'll, uh, it'll get there, but um yeah, that's just a matter of the way things kind of have gone right now. So it'll be interesting to see if the Leafs can kind of keep it rolling. Sheldon Keefe said the other day, you know, it kind of feels worse in training camp because guys have been off and they haven't been able to kind of ramp up the way they would in a training camp where they had been skating for a while beforehand. So it'll be very interesting to see how everyone kind of deals with it. Yeah, so Sheldon Keefe was saying basically how hard it is on the guys coming back. And like you just reiterated there, about guys kind of taking it harder than training camp because there's no ramp-up process. And you will see that. But here's the thing, and I don't mean to say this as a, a happy thing, but all teams will be going through the exact same thing as the Maple Leafs right now. So they're really at no disadvantage unless guys, you know, maybe younger guys come back a little bit quicker than older guys, um, depending maybe older teams hit, get hit harder or whatever it is. But I do think that where every team is going through the same thing, that may be the thing. Josh got his hand up, so we're in class here. <laughs> Sorry, just uh, breaking news from CTV. Canada has no immediate plans to shorten the isolation period for those who contract COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the federal guideline, not, not provincial, right? Uh, I haven't opened the article, but I'll take a look. It just says Canada, so I, I assume that's... Uh, Headline federal. propaganda. Well, so that, uh, that's a bit of a concern only because... Like that would be all that, that would be all seven Canadian teams. Well, 
they, yeah, and I, I'm not a health expert. I've not had to deal with this stuff. So I'm very nascent in terms of knowing if federal changes provincial and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like you, I'm a, like, I'm a hockey fan. I wanted to kind of stick to just sports yeah. in that regard. Uh, you can't always do that. Um, but um, yeah, so looking at, at this stuff, that's why you saw a lot of games getting rescheduled, like in yeah. terms of uh, economics and this in the name of economics, because if it means these Canadian teams are going to have to go on the road for a bit until things lax, that's what they may have to do. Yeah. Like it's, no one wants to see that, that that's going to. And the other thing too, is if, if they can't do the five day quarantine, um, is there a competitive disadvantage with the Canadian teams versus the American teams as a result of this? And that's, that's going to be a problem. I get Canada's position. They don't want to kowtow to anything the United States does just because they have their own autonomy, country. This is how you do things, whatever. But a lot of Canada's uh, economics is based on the way the U.S., our largest trading partner is, right? Like it's, it's a really difficult relationship to negotiate. And so when one side takes one way, if the other side doesn't go with it, it's a challenge. So yeah. that's where these Canadian teams could hurt. Um, hopefully, hopefully it gets resolved sometime sooner. But I think that's why you're seeing a lot of those Canadian dates uh, starting to get moved in the sake of economics. Well, that makes clarif- me wonder too. Clarification. Like, you know, we got, we had some playing in the States. They would be able to adhere oh, to no sense. whatever governance is in the States then. So they'd be able to adhere to that five day. The problem is would any player who's on the COVID list be able to travel with them or if a guy contracts COVID in the States, do they have to stay in each state for the five days or whatever it is? So that becomes more of a logistical nightmare for the Maple Leafs as well. So I don't know, but I don't know, man, there's no easy answer. But the other problem too is uh, we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave the uh, political talk after this. Um, also Canada has their borders closed right now to athletes traveling, traveling that are symptomatic or asymptomatic as well. So, you know, they don't really want to, travel too much they don't want to that was always the case though before like um even before that if they were symptomatic and had covid they couldn't go what was the thing though didn't didn't canada close the borders though for there was a trap no no travel ban or whatever no like you can still drive across into the states okay um and um what the only thing they've changed as of right now and trust me as someone who goes on the road i follow this on a regular basis but the only thing that's changed from before Omicron was that the short, the 72 hour short trip exemption was yep. removed. Okay. It now has to be, and now it's now back. And, and the other thing is that negative test when coming back from the States has to be from the States. So even if you're there for a day, you can't use that same test to go back and forth. You have to have that test from the United States oh, wow. in order to come back. Um, so um i like you can get an NAAT test that gets you the results within a couple of hours which is admissible by the government of canada so that's not really that much of an issue if you know where to look for it um but um apart from that the land border is still the same um you still need a test coming back in uh both ways but it was a travel advisory not a travel closure okay. like the, the border is not closed they, there's just been an advisory against non-essential travel, but it's an advisory, not a hard set. There was talk that they were going to do that, and they got pushed back, apparently. So they didn't do that yet, uh, but right now it's still an advisory, and the border is still open in that regard. They've just amended some of the other looseness that they had before. So let's talk Maple Leafs then. If they have to go on the road for an extended period of time, <clears throat> obviously any other Canadian games would be rescheduled, which could be a beneficial thing towards the end of the season. If the Maple Leafs get a bunch of home games at home, which essentially is never a bad thing. Um, getting comfortable in your own building, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we did see how it does affect teams though, with the New York Islanders to begin their season, really put them in a hole. So mm-hmm. um, you just have to hope for the best, I guess, if you're the Maple Leafs, but I mean, obviously it looks like they'll probably be playing a lot more games over, across the border i'm just wondering 
do you have any guidance on when you might get an announcement on that when you might get to see what what's going to happen there or is it just hey we're going to play the games that are in front of us and once it becomes that time we'll figure it out omicron is going to dictate everything that's just uh, the matter of it look look how many times there was a game on the schedule and then that game didn't happen yeah. first it was vancouver and seattle sorry first it was calgary yeah. then it was vancouver and seattle at the same time then it was columbus then it was pittsburgh now we have Ottawa. So, um, you know, pretty confident Ottawa is probably going to happen. I have a good feeling about that one. But who knows, right? Like uh, things have changed so much that when I thought, oh, a game is going to, I I was starting to think that the Vancouver game was going to happen because, you know, even though they had cases and they canceled practice, it was few. And um, they've made other teams play without, that I was not surprised. I didn't think it was the wrong call to put the game off, but I was just surprised at how late that decision was. Like yeah. it was literally hours before the game was scheduled. Like I was in my Vancouver hotel room and we're like waiting for results. And then finally I'm seeing it from the insiders that uh, the game's not happening. And I'm feverishly on with Air Canada trying to change change uh like a thing to get home on a red eye as opposed to going to seattle and flying back from there where you know under those guidelines they wouldn't have needed a test to go into the states and fly back but things could have changed and if i had to get tested and then i did get positive then i would have been stuck in the states for i don't know how long so um omicron is dictating everything and right now they're trying to move out stuff and then restrictions are going to further dictate stuff because yeah. uh, I believe I heard Elliot Friedman quote this in, in the ballpark where every Leaf home game is about three and a half million in revenue. Every uh, Montreal home game is about two and a half million in revenue. Big and win, so without, without fans for a, whole, for a whole two and a half in Montreal and for half of a three and a half in Toronto, it's pretty pricey. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. The Canadian revenues mean so much to the NHL's bottom line, and they're already behind on escrow to try and catch up in three, four years from now that, you know, they, they can't really afford to, to kind of wait on this. They, they have the luxury of time with the Olympic break now, but they've got to use it and they've got to move games out where they feel there's not money to be made. And so right now in Canada, there's no money to be made. Like, uh, you, they make up so much of the gate revenue. I, I'm, for better or worse, the Canadian gate makes up a lot of revenue compared to other leagues because they just either it's better TV rights, more worldwide adoption of the sport and fan interest. For whatever you name it, they can get away with this stuff. But in the NHL, they simply can't. They have to move things for economics. And, and Omicron and restrictions are going to dictate the way the schedule looks like right now. So you have your schedule. You know two games that are coming up. Yep. But after that, and then they're on the road for a while. And I'm pretty confident those games would stick. Um, but who knows after that? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, it's frustrating not knowing, right? Like, <laughs> right. It, it, well, imagine David's position, not knowing, you know what I mean? Like, I know. And like, I was just about to, I was just about to say it, it's frustrating for me as a fan when all I do is sit on my ass on the couch and watch the TV and, and salt the other team's fan base on Twitter. Like you're actually following the team around for a living and like, I don't know. It just, it's, it, it, I, I can, I can see this ending well, but I can also see this not ending too well. So I just hope we go on the right path here. Let's just every, steer the current safe and healthy right situation. Yeah, well, we'll for keep sure. The positive vibes going. So I want to ask you then, obviously we got a moment here, the Toronto Maple Leafs, obviously let's, let's swerve off the COVID topic. Let's talk about the team itself. Um, this team doing well, obviously things are rolling. Things are looking good for guys like Timothy Lilligren, Rasmus Sandin. Uh, for me, as a fan, watching the team and looking at everything, I'm saying this team still needs a bottom six Zach Bogosian-esque type of guy um, on the back end. Just physical, a guy who can play penalty kill minutes, maybe 15 to 17 a night, uh, but has a physical aspect, some, some razor's edge basically to him. And uh, I brought up the topic that Vegas needs to shed, I think, almost $10 million in cap space. And a guy that you might want to chase down is Braden McNabb. Can play about 20 minutes a night, likes to hit, like to block shots. The price may be 
whatever it is, but it's not going to be a roster player. It's definitely going to be picks and prospects to get a player off of Vegas. Uh, I think he's about two and a half million dollars. So, I mean, the Leafs would be able to probably do some sort of cap magic like they did last year, like we talked about, you know, where Freddie was on IR and all these different things happened to free up the space, a three-way trade, et cetera. But I look at Braden McNabb and I say, that's a player I want to see on the Toronto Maple Leafs back end. And I mean, they may not want to give him up, but they do got to shed cap space. And him or Alex Martinez or someone on that team is going to go. And then probably a price tag forward as well, like a Riley Smith or a Marsh show. But if I'm the Leafs, I'm wondering if I can pick that carcass and get a Braden McNabb. And I'm wondering for you, is that the type of player the Leafs need? A guy who can come in, be a little physical, still block shots, still do all those little things, but still be serviceable enough to give you 15 to 20 a night. I think that's what I'm looking at for the Leafs. There's no doubt a guy like him would help in that regard. Um, And to your point about his cap hit, that he's an expiring guy, that he's a guy they could probably squeeze in. Um, I only say it's wishful thinking because it's a competitive team that's going for it. Yeah. Um, Usually when you're trying to find a trade partner, it's not going to be a team that's going for it to kind of pick the carcass per se. If the, if the Golden Knights are going to have any issues in terms of cap, they're going to Tampa it to keep all their assets, which is just, you know, you're not ready yet or someone else gets hurt. We'll swap out the LTI and, um, and hope that it resolves itself for day one of the playoffs when the cap doesn't matter. That's, because that's me, the new world we're in, isn't it? But that's, well, that's, that's the world everyone's in because everyone's up against it, right? Yeah. So what, what made the Freddie situation so interesting last year was the fact that, you know, you had a guy on LTI that they couldn't activate, but then other guys are going on LTI, so you could activate. Like once, once Hyman and Bogosian got hurt, everything added up to you can now activate Freddie. But before that, they just couldn't. So, yeah. so what was going to be the end result? Marley's for conditioning, and then maybe playoffs if you need them, and that was it. But because they were able to interchange that, they were able to move that around. And so Vegas is not going to make any sort of move like that. We get to a trade deadline that I can't remember with the Olympic break if it changed, like if it was after, I believe it was after, um, I can't remember exactly off the top when it is situation now where Vegas doesn't have to make those kind of decisions. If they have other injuries that, that need LTI, they can swap out the LTI and then activate Eichel and do all that stuff. The only thing that was kind of silly was um, Vegas tweeted out what their lineup would be if everyone was healthy, which was just cap illegal because (laughs) Like, well, that I, was my first thought. I was like, wow, okay. Like, so we're like, going to really but, test but that like, theory if you're over the cap here. Right. Yeah. I mean, in the playoffs, they could do it. Yeah. In the playoffs, they could very well do it. Um, Which but- I think they might try and do. I'm, I'm looking at their cap friendly right now. Like on the LTIR, they have Eichel, Martinez, Nolan, or Patrick Nolan, and uh, Jake Bishop. And then like they have Mark Stone on the IR. So they're still taking that cap hit. That's 9.5. So if you if you were to throw him onto LTIR, they're looking at like quick math here. Yeah, I can't remember. What was Mark Stone's injury again? I don't know what his injury is. That's what I was going to ask you because I feel like they want to put him on LTIR, but they only have, I think it's like 3 million left to work with that. If they throw Mark Stone on LTIR, that's $25 million on the LTIR. If they want to pull all these guys off of uh, their long-term well, injury Mark reserve. Stone's day-to-day. The reason okay. you don't LTI is because you don't LTI until you absolutely have to. Yeah, because that's what I was wondering. You can't undo LTI. Yeah. So, so, so also, uh, where they have $3 million of space, don't they want to be as close as they can be to the cap? Uh, yes. Well, they're already in the pool, right? They're already in the so pool. That that part doesn't matter once you've already gone into LTI. Yeah. So, like, the, when, what you're thinking of was when the Leafs acquired Riley Nash, they weren't in the pool yet. And yeah. Riley Nash was the exact cap hit they needed on that given day to be like dollars away from what they needed to not waste any LTI space when putting Freddie and, and whatever on it to get the full. 5 million because if you go into LTI and you're in a million short 
when you do it sure. with Freddie, that, that means you only have 4 million of that. And so you always want to make sure you're as close to that spot before putting that, but every team already did that. Any team that started this season with LTI has already done that LTI pool. So just like how the Leafs are in LTI pool right now, although um, they'll probably be out of it once Mitch Marner comes back. Um, Then yeah, they'll, they'll, uh, it becomes daily cap accrual at that point, which is at this point, it's going to be lower. So it's just a matter of um, with Mark Stone, like, you don't, those are day-to-day injuries. They're not going to LTI unless they need to LTI. If they find out it's a more serious injury, then they'll LTI him if they need the space or if they need to activate someone over the cap. That way they put him, they add their pool, they LTI him first, then they activate the next person right after that that move follows after that move but judging by what i just read it sounds like a day-to-day injury so we don't know so um, but yeah scatter my dreams about getting Braden mcnab there david i was very excited about picking picking that guy but i mean look if it go back to my question you publicly for coming up with it if it happens i just (laughs) don't see i don't see a scenario because for those kind of moves it's contender to a non-contender right so or non-contender team with an asset like that to a contending team for expiring asset and stuff. And also the Leafs don't have a lot that much to give up. They've already gone, they've already played this game that if they're going to do it again, it's going to be deep, deep picks. Like it's, they just can't afford to do this. Like they've got, you know, let's, they need a first round pick for a change. Like the cupboard's going to start getting bare very soon. Sure. They've got some world junior assets, but now those guys aren't playing in the, in that tournament. Um, so we'll see. I mean, uh, they've got to start loading up the cupboard again because uh, there's no spots for these other guys to play right now. Yeah. So you may as well start loading up on future talent. No. All right. No, I agree with you. I just, like I said, for me, if I look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, the one thing that I would want them to focus on is adding another bigger depth defenseman. And I mean, if that's all you're worried about on your team, because I like the penalty kill they got going on. I like the yeah. third line that, Keith has carved out a defensive role for. I like what Kasha brings. Nick Ritchie on a third line may be expensive, but if you fill in a role there, I like what Bunting's doing up the lineup. Kerfoot's looking good. So, I mean, really, if all we're sitting here saying, hey, I think the only thing I really want is, a, you know, maybe a mercenary scorer like a Phil Kessel, <laughs> maybe, and then a, a depth defenseman, I think you're doing pretty well for your team. Yeah. You know, Chara. Let's get Chara. I love. I lo- I heard that idea. I forget where I heard it, but I love that idea for some reason. I don't know why. Probably wouldn't work, but I just think adding Chara for a playoff do push would be awesome. You think for a cold awesome. minute, Lou Lamorella would ever do a deal with the Maple Leafs? I don't. Yeah, I haven't seen one since he's been gone. So, I um, mean, Lou needs all the help he can get right now. Just looking at that team. Uh, you know what? Watch them. Watch you say that. Now they're going to be the St. Louis Blues and go on a heater. And they'll be picking up the cup, and everybody will be rubbing it in our face. We'll see. I mean, it's gonna feel like like I I can't believe there's seven games on tonight, um, or six games. But um, yeah, it's when the Leafs resume, it's gonna feel like a new season all over again, which is weird. And and it's gonna have that feeling of last year when the season started in January, which was also weird. Like it's it's very much like like we didn't even like the only thing that was the same as, as in previous years was them not winning or going past. You knew I was going there before, <laughs> before I even finished the sentence, I could see yeah. the face. that was like the only thing that was kind of, you know, like reminiscent of pre COVID days. But uh, other than that, like it's, it, it's weird how like history's short-term history starting to repeat itself a little bit, but I'm, I'm a glass half full person. I've learned to be more optimistic these days. Yep. And uh, I do think, I do hope anyway, that this Omicron thing ends up being far less severe than anything. And it just becomes this derivative that becomes lesser and lesser and lesser severe that, that it's just the next step before the resumption of normal life again. That's what we look forward to. Well, David, I look forward to your coverage to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Look forward to you staying safe um, and bringing us all the news and look forward to having you on a little later in the season, get a new feel of the team, what's gone on since this point to that point. But uh, thank you very much. You're always so gracious with your time. We love having you on, having some laughs and talking some leaf. So and I like being on. So I appreciate you guys having me on again as always. I always look forward to talking to you. Member of offside. 
<laughs> All right, guys, this is Off That Hockey Talk, where uh, hockey comes to talk. <laughs>